0: The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is sponsored by U.S. Bank. Embracing what makes us unique creates more possibilities for all. Learn more at usbank.com diversity. U.S. Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. You're listening to the Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast. Here are a few messages from the forum before we start the show. Registration to our 32nd annual conference, Facing Forward, is now open. Our three-day flagship event, the annual conference, is our premier learning opportunity at the cutting edge of a diversity, equity, and inclusion landscape. This year's conference features more than 96 sessions and three feature general sessions which cover topics like globalization, social tensions across ethnicities and interests, and embracing the increasing rate of change and disruption across many different sectors. The conference also features more than 180 presenters and speakers from around the world and our innovative 40,000 square foot marketplace of ideas exhibitor space. But that's not everything you'll find at this year's conference. Visit forumworkplaceinclusion.org for more information about our additional features like our expanded wellness center, the popular diversity, equity, and inclusion coaching center, our off-site immersive learning experiences, and more. The Forum Annual Conference is SHRM and HRCI eligible. With that, I'd like to say thank you to all of our listeners and subscribers. Your engagement with our podcast supports our growth and helps us reach new listeners. If you like what you're hearing on the Forum podcast, please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. If you've already written a review, thank you. And please consider sharing our podcast with a friend, family member, or colleague. Word of mouth from our audience is the best way the forum grows, so thank you very much for listening and sharing. Thanks again, and enjoy the show.
1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Engaging Men and Leaders in Gender Balance. I'm Ben Rue, Program Coordinator here at the Forum on Workplace Inclusion. Today's guest is Aviva Wittenberg-Cox of 21st, who will be interviewed by Tim Hollands, also of 21st. Engaging men isn't about getting women to become ever more congratulatory about men who get it getting men to embrace balance requires leaders skilled at making the link between balance and business when they buy it and are skilled at selling it everybody gets on board today's episode of the forum podcast will help you understand the common pitfalls to avoid and why they remain so popular introduce the concept of gender bilingualism as a management concept of competency and outline ways of reframing gender balance more strategically and inclusively. Our guest today, Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, is CEO of 21st, a global consulting firm working with companies interested in capturing the competitive advantage of gender, nationality, and generational balance. Since 2005, she has worked around the globe with CEOs, executive committees, and top management teams of some of the world's best-known companies to capture the business opportunities of more balanced 21st century forms of leadership, customer connections, and talent management. As Director and Senior Consultant of 21st, Tim Hollins brings his long corporate experience in CSR and public relations to the company. Without further ado, I would like to hand things over to Aviva and Tim.
2: So Aviva, to get started, we know that lots of organizations have tried for years to get more women into their management and leadership teams, but they end up frustrated. Why do you think that is?
3: But I do agree that there is a lot of frustration all around. Um, And our experience is a lot how the whole topic has been introduced into companies. And overwhelmingly, wherever we go and whoever we talk to about this, we find that we end up in rooms that are dominated mostly by women. And men just aren't part of the conversation. And the responsibility for gender balance is often given, to the most senior women in the organization. And then it's seen as being run by women, for women, engaging other women, and it's really failing at engaging men in the conversation or the accountability for the change.
2: So why aren't men engaged? Aren't they interested? Uh, Do they fear affirmative action? Or do they think things have gone too far? Or do they simply think it's unfair?
3: I think they think all of those things. Uh, I think there's a vast number of uh, opinions and reactions to really decades of what they probably experience as promoting women into leadership. So yes, a very strong emphasis on women. And I think there are three things that we have repeatedly seen companies doing that tends to alienate or disengage men. So uh, the first thing I would say is all these women-branded events and initiatives, women in leadership, women's conferences, leadership development for women, coaching, training for women, internal networks, reserved women. There's a, there's a full roster of women-branded events where men – maybe welcome, except they don't necessarily feel very included if it's all said to be for women. So that's the first issue on um, how companies have been doing things we don't really uh, think ingratiate them with men. The second I would suggest is a bit of a track record and history on unrealistic targets. All of a sudden you get targets that are also not very gender neutral, right? They tend to be targets for women in leadership and they're communicated that way. So you get a target of say 50% women by 2022 when the company is currently at maybe 30% and it's a completely unrealistic target. Everybody kind of knows that. And the fact that it's communicated again as being a target for women creates all kinds of reactions in men, that um, it is affirmative action, that it is unfair, that their own jobs and their own promotions are gonna be at risk. Um, And I think none of that has particularly helped. Um, And finally, I think what we're seeing more recently, and um, it's kind of an attempt to uh, get women, get men more engaged in the whole debate, is what I see as uh, flattery. So now men are being invited into the conversation and being awarded titles like champions, you know, please come and champion our networks or our events. Um, they're applauded for doing so. And they're called allies in the fight. Um, and I think this creates a kind of segmentation between men. So that the men who aren't champions are considered somehow to be not supporters of gender balance in theory, when that might actually not be the case. So I think it's a, a way of kind of separating men from men, which is also creating its own small backlash. So women-branded events, unrealistic targets, and a strange form of flattery we're entering into are three things that... Um, aren't very successful at getting men involved.
2: And yet, and yet, I think many men uh, do find themselves uh, interested in the issue, do want to see greater uh, balance. They see it as, as a moral issue. Um, so isn't that a, a, a something to be applauded?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, I would personally applaud it.
3: Uh, I totally agree that many men do see this as a moral issue, but... We've seen many things in companies uh, be moral issues and not change capitalistic systems to all kinds of issues. And I think it's very hard for corporate leaders to position themselves as preachers of morals to you know large groups of people who have a whole range of their own moral systems. And I think what business leaders are good at is being the holders of the business they are corporate leaders and they are good at defining strategic priorities and i think that's where their legitimacy lies so my recommendation to leaders is not to create divisiveness against across different moral and ethical beliefs, which vary greatly on this topic, and instead anchor themselves in why gender balance is such a strategic business issue today, because that's what men don't do. They don't connect the dots between gender balance and bottom line returns, and that's where we need leaders to help.
2: So many companies now do have an explicit diversity policy. Uh, Diversity, inclusion is a a phrase you hear all the time. And gender is always part of that. Uh, In fact, it's often the primary focus. Hasn't that helped to make it a priority?
3: I think um, that's often helped to create some of the, the backlash to the topic, because most men that I have worked with will say, but diversity is so much more than just gender. And they're right. My argument is that actually, gender isn't a diversity dimension. I think that was a misframe from the beginning. What we're seeing around the world is that women are now 60% of university graduates. They make the vast majority of consumer goods buying decisions. There are a growing number of decision makers in other companies, whether it's stakeholders, regulators, or uh, decision buyers of all kinds. Why would you frame that as a diversity dimension? It's the majority for many organizations of their talent and their markets. And I think framing that as a diversity is part of the major challenge we have in getting men to understand why it's so important. My uh, replacement suggestion or metaphor is, if you're going to sell or work with the Chinese, what do you need to do? You need to learn the language and the culture of the Chinese. Well, women's purchasing power globally is bigger than the GDP of China and India combined. And if you want to work with or sell to women, you better learn the language and culture of women they're not a minority among many. They are, for many businesses, do or die.
2: Hmm. Hmm. So you talked earlier about uh, gender balance initiatives being run by women, for women, often about women, with women's networks and women's conferences and so forth. So if you don't think women should be leading the push on better balance, who should?
3: Leaders. (laughs) Really simple. Leaders should lead it. And if leaders are women, great, then women should lead it. But if uh, most of the leadership team is male, then it should be male leaders who lead it. So I think that's, again, one of the automatic defaults in so many organizations and leadership teams and executive teams. It's, oh my gosh, we have a gender issue issue hand it over to your most senior woman very often in a staff job on the executive team, the head of HR, or the head of communications. And that may not be the most convincing spokesperson. If who you're trying to convince of this is uh, your dominant majority inside your organization, which is often men in male dominated uh, companies. And I think you need to get leaders to lead it visibly, repeatedly, and convincingly and authentically. So that's uh, where I find a lot of the focus has been on empowering women to somehow succeed in organizations. My suggestion is maybe if we spent just a little bit of time empowering leaders who need a little bit of time in my experience to move from being gender blind to becoming more gender bilingual leaders,
2: Bilingual. What, what do you mean by gender bilingual? That's a new concept.
3: Well, it's every manager I have ever interviewed any or who've been involved in any other work we do, in any country, in any sector, will always tell me that they are gender blind. They swear to me that they couldn't care less if somebody's a man, a woman, or one of the other 52 genders currently on offer. They insist that all they care about is competence. Now, I wish that were true, but we also have quite a bit of research that suggests that that is not as true as they think it is. And the invitation is, forget this gender-blind stuff. We aren't gender-blind. We're all pretty biased. We all have a history of what we think men and women are and should be. And that there are lots and lots of differences between men and women that are interesting, engaging, and valuable. And so gender bilingual means that you actually have a really deep understanding of what those differences are and how to leverage them so that you can use them to better connect with your customers, to better understand their preferences, their buying decisions, their needs, and that you can tailor your products, services, communications to integrate and respond effectively to both men and women without alienating either
2: gender. So you're talking about this as fundamentally a leadership issue. How can you actually tell a leader who gets it and is leading the charge effectively?
3: It's actually not as as hard as people think, although I do think uh, a lot of leaders are getting better at talking the talk but what's key is that they can also walk the walk and you can usually see it pretty simply in the ratio of their the gender balance of their own teams right so a first easy measure is uh the actual gender balance of any manager or leader's team who claims to be gender bilingual um but i would suggest that to really change at an organizational level we need leaders and executive teams that have both the will to change and shift the balance, but also, uh, and very essentially, the skill. It's not enough just to want to change and believe, yes, we need to change and it's uh, absolutely time. It takes a certain leadership skill to be first convinced about why this topic is relevant to the business, But then, and even more importantly, I'd say, is to be convincing to others who simply don't buy it. That's where we really need um, an enhanced leadership skill, is to understand where most people are on these issues, that there's a real lack of alignment, that people have all kinds of views and emotional reactions to this, and to be able to build unity and vision across all those differences. Um, Because those leaders need to be able to understand that who they need to sell this whole idea to is not women, right? It's mostly in most male dominated companies. They need to sell the idea to men. They have to address the issue with their dominant majorities. Because that's the only way they're going to shift the cultures of their organizations and the systems that drive them.
2: I think most leaders, many leaders at any rate, in organizations today would say that they get why this is important. They just want to learn how to implement change, how to get on with it. Um, isn't that what it's all about? Just getting on with it?
3: that's that's very much where they'd like to get to absolutely i there's a huge impatience now in a a lot of companies yeah we get it we get it just tell me how to do it um my usual um analysis of that is well let's check first before we launch uh, aggressive targets and leadership goals let's just do a little diagnostic of whether your own leadership team actually gets it. Um, that's not very hard to do. So we, we, we regularly run deep scan audits where we'll interview um, the executive team members, representative groups of uh, women and young people to see a little bit what the culture of the organization is, what the current gender ratio is across divisions or countries or businesses, um, and get an actual fact-based analysis of assessing where leaders stand. Do they understand the current situation in their own businesses? Um, And do they actually buy that this is a business imperative for the company? And what we routinely find is that they simply aren't aligned. Some of them completely buy it. Uh, Some of them are kind of neutral about it and some really, really don't buy it at all. And if you have an executive team that is divided up between these three segments that we call the the progressive, the patient and the plotting, um, if there's no alignment among those groups, they will never effectively sell and cascade to a much broader organization that this is a key topic.
2: So companies have a business interest in gender balance and are pushing for it. But what about the men? What about men themselves? What's in it for them?
3: Well, I think that's one of the messages that um, it really helps leaders to sell. What is in it for them? Um, And that requires a little bit of a shift, right? What's in it for them has to be much clearer inside organizations. The tipping point we find in companies is when it becomes so important um, to a, a leadership team that people simply won't get promoted if they don't know how to build balanced teams and serve balanced clients. That should become increasingly a 21st century management skill and competency that companies get better at measuring and then of course there's the whole win-win of this subject which is companies that are more gender balanced have more balanced cultures much better personal and professional life integration inside of these companies and workplaces that are frankly just more fun and healthier to be in so i think the win-win isn't necessarily obvious to men, but when it's made clear that uh, there'll be better future leaders, that they will be promoted and that they will have more uh, fun at work and at life, I think that makes it a pretty compelling win-win.
2: But if that's true, why aren't more men pushing for genuine gender balance?
3: Well, it brings us back to the very opening of this conversation because they see it as a women's issue, because it's all run by women, because company, companies typically run women's programs. So it's also who leads the change and sells the message influences how it's perceived by men. So I'd say as long as we keep getting women to try and pitch this idea of gender balance to men, we're gonna have a lot of trouble getting men to really believe that it's a win-win for them. It makes it much more compelling, I would suggest, if um, the communicator of the ideas are the people these people report into. So men will take it seriously when their bosses do and not before. This we see on any other substantive change issue, right? When it affects their careers, when it's integrated into their performance evaluation systems, When it becomes a key part or whether or not they're promoted, that's
2: when men will really begin to push for gender balance
3: and not before. Let's not be naive.
2: Hmm. I knew some business leaders would say, I get it. Gender balance makes business sense. But some of my team see it at best as a moral issue and others see it as a pain in the backside. So how do I really get people to buy in?
3: Well, yeah, you have it out with them. Um, I think the issue there is, because there are so many views, because this is such a hot topic, because Me Too has spread it all over the global media, and people are increasingly fearful, uncomfortable, uh, sure that they might say the wrong thing. You have to be able to give people a little bit of time. Um, So I think the first step in addressing this lack of alignment amongst men is to get it on the agenda.
2: What, people are allowed to be politically incorrect?
3: Absolutely. (laughs) And if you don't let it out, uh, and if you try and bottle it up and say that they absolutely can't say anything, then you're just preparing for a future backlash. So this is really one change that has to come from the top, Um, Our strong recommendation is the only people who can change the systems, models, and cultures of organizations are those with the power to change it. So it has to start with them. And as I say, they're all over the map on this thing. So you need to get it on their agenda enough that they can actually argue it out amongst themselves. It really doesn't help to get an external consultant or a senior woman in to pitch what is now called the business case at your executive team, the the business case has to come from them, not be delivered to them. So this is a lot of what I spend my time doing is facilitating these often uh, pretty heated debates about three questions. Why, what, and how? Why care about this topic? Do we care about this topic? Until that team and any team is aligned in why it's important and what are we actually talking about, um, you're not going to make any progress and you need to understand and have a good handle on what is actually going on. You would be quite amazed to see how little understanding there is of the current situation in most organizations. It's just not clear to a lot of leaders what the balance is, where the numbers diverge, what different variations you get across businesses. And then finally, of course, there's very little alignment on what to do about it. So how to change um, is the last part of all these debates. And again, you need to get them to decide what are they ready to change? Are they ready to change the model? Or are they ready to flex it? Uh, what do they call balance? um very often the the targets that i was criticizing up front the sort of 50% women in leadership should be much more gender neutral right why can't we have balance redefined as for example 60% of any gender at any level in any function um Because what we're seeing a lot of companies doing is stuffing women into staff roles. So we have 80% women in staff roles and 80% men in profit and loss roles. And we call that balance because in aggregate, we're finally getting some numbers of uh, women and men in uh, approximate ratios. But that's actually not what most companies really want.
2: But I think a lot of uh, business leaders today would say, well, look at our entry point level uh, staff. We're recruiting 50-50. Now, surely that means that in 10 years time, in 15 years time, we're going to be balanced right across the organization.
3: It is true that that has been the progress of uh, a couple of decades back, right? We now do see in most large organizations that the entry-level talent pool is very balanced. The challenge is that assumption that you just made, that this will naturally flow through. And what we can see very clearly from both research in countries and companies around the world is that's absolutely not true recruiting talent in, especially given that now, as I said, women are 60% of university graduates, it's not hard to get a 50-50 balance, and then still you're doing some affirmative action on getting more men than there might be in the available uh, graduate pipeline. But then what we see in almost every single company in the world is that the percentage of women begins to drop, not somewhere near the top, but starting usually from some of the very first promotion levels, and the share of men begins to rise at the same time. And it's those what we call gender jaws, that dropping of women at every level to the top, and the increase of men that is the sort of ongoing issue that we're dealing with now.
2: So it's those sorts of things that uh, the executive team need to grapple with and understand and debate and argue over at at the outset uh, and understand what's going on and then what?
3: Well, and then what? um, Then they've got to get a plan that addresses the uh, scale of the issue. So once leaders are aligned and skilled and ready to lead, then they have to cascade it down to other managers and the people that report into them. And it's once these this alignment, awareness building, and skilling up of gender bilingualism is more generalized across management, that's when you start getting a shift in culture from today's kind of unconscious boys clubs to much more of a gender balance that's really been, by design, very intentionally uh, input into the system. And then there's still another step Um, after you hit the management is to also address the underlying systems that um, define both the talent side of the business, but also the customer facing side. So we do a lot of work looking at HR policies um, and whether they've been adapted to a more gender balanced talent pool. So that's all the issues around Flexibility, shared parental leave, family leave, um, what kind of workplace culture do you have? Is it friendly to both men and women? And equally true on the whole customer-facing side and what you do with your sales and marketing channels. Are they unconsciously male-normed, as so many of them are? Does your advertising default to masculine codes and messaging? Um, or has it all been adapted to the fact that um, the majority of your clients might be feminizing? Mm-hmm.
2: But I guess, yeah, underlying all this, I, 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 some people at any rate would ask, well, surely men and women, wi- are men and women different? Perhaps there's a reason why women all go into support roles and men into PL and and marketing and sales roles. Uh, for many men, uh, sometimes we're told to treat everyone the same, uh, that men and women are uh, essentially identical, and sometimes we're told to recognize the differences between the genders. What, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> it isn't always obvious.
3: It isn't obvious, and I think men are on a decade-long um, uh, voyage of discovery and learning, and I think that learning is really what's key, right? All of these, we're in the middle of a massive human transition where half the population in the last 50 or 60 years has moved into education, work, and increasing power. That is a huge shift that impacts uh, men and women equally. And I think women have been thinking, writing, reading, and talking about this for a century or more. I think the 21st century is seeing the beginning of men becoming more engaged and more interested in what this means for them. What are the consequences? So I think when we're talking about gender differences, it's a moving target. It's very hard to measure. And I think we're caught between lots and lots of stereotypes, lots of history, lots of cultural differences, and it will become part of the leadership of uh, requirement, the management criteria to get more skilled at being able to tell the difference between real differences and being able to avoid all the stereotypes that we're trying to unbox both men and women for. from. And so that's the whole point of becoming gender bilingual. I don't think we're going to do it without quite a bit of education. And this isn't something that's usually put on the curriculum of our business schools, our universities, or most of our careers. So as I was just talking to one man uh, in a session that I was running yesterday, he said, listen, I went to a boys' private school. I have a engineering degree where 90% of the class was men. I've worked in this company that is entirely dominated by men. I've never really worked with women. So how is he supposed to understand how to build now uh, a gender-balanced team? He's gonna have to learn.
2: In so many ways it seems to me what you're saying is the onus has to move, has to shift from uh, the women who historically have driven this forward to men in whose interests uh, it is and leaders whose responsibility is in their organisations. Uh, to to pursue business objectives and see gender balance as a business objective. If you, in wrapping up, had to summarize what would be the wrong ways and the right ways to think and go about gender balance, uh, what would you say?
3: My short uh, summary of all this would be stop fixing women, stop blaming men, and start adapting companies and leaders to 21st century talent and markets. That's what's gonna deliver sustainable, balanced, healthy businesses. It should also, by the way, contribute to healthy and sustainable and more balanced countries and couples. But that might be for a
2: future podcast. (laughs) That sounds a much wider uh, topic. Thanks very much for all that. How can people find out more? Uh, They can go
3: to our website, 20-first.com. They can read a number of books that we've written on this topic. And there's a new book just coming out that should be a good summary of most of what we've just discussed, which is three ways of engaging men and leaders in gender balance.
2: Sounds good. Thanks very much. My pleasure.
1: Well, thank you both so much um, for this very engaging and balanced podcast. (laughs) I, actually made me think a lot of the gender balance in the diverse equity and inclusion in our in just our office. Um, so, so a lot to think about. So thank you so much for that. And thank you listeners for joining us. You can listen to uh, this podcast and all our other podcasts at forumworkplaceinclusion.org forward slash podcast. You can also subscribe or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Anchor. Again, thank you so much, both of you. Um, for uh, for being part of our 2020 series, and we look forward to having you all join us for future podcasts. Thank you, and have a
0: great day. Thank you again for listening to the Forum and Workplace Inclusion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast to get updates and the latest episodes. Also, tell us what you think by reviewing our podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback. For more information, visit us at forumworkplaceinclusion.org or search Workplace Forum on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thank you very much and have a great day. The Forum on Workplace Inclusion podcast is recorded at Augsburg University in Minneapolis, Minnesota. One of the most diverse private colleges in the Midwest, Augsburg University offers more than 50 undergraduate majors and nine graduate degrees to 3,400 students of diverse backgrounds at its campus in the vibrant center of the Twin Cities and nearby Rochester, Minnesota location. Augsburg educates students to be informed citizens, thoughtful stewards, critical thinkers, and responsible leaders. In Augsburg education is defined by excellence in the local arts and professional studies, guided by the faith and values of the Lutheran Church, and shaped by its urban and global settings. Learn more at augsburg.edu.